Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lechtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about Kiruv on the front lines. And it's a wonderful time to be speaking about it. Parshas Lech Lecha. What does the Rambam write about? Avram Avinu. He said he was the first Makarov. Hayahoilech, me Medina, la Medino, meir, leir, makabit, anashim, la lafim, lervavis, vayikra b'shem Hashem. These are the Talmidei Avram Avinu. Who are we going to have? We're going to have three individuals. We're going to have, well, all four. We're going to have Rabbi Uri Zohar, arguably the most famous Balchuva in the world. In Eretz Yisrael, Lev Lachim. He's inspired thousands and thousands of Israelis to be Chayz Balchuva. He used to be a model, an actor, and he became from at 40. And with him, we're going to have Rabbi Yanki Aram. He's going to say exactly what the scope of what Lev Lachem does. It's astounding in Eretz Yisrael. We're going to have another great Makariv, Rabbi Yossi Gordon. He's the CEO of Chabad on campus. Almost 400 Chabad houses on campus. Their reach is unbelievable because they reach, what, a few hundred thousand students a year. Then we're going to have Chaim Sampson. She's the CEO of Project Inspire. He'll be inspiring us with uh, some of the his message. So it should be really a wonderful program at an auspicious time. I want to make a little announcement, a mini announcement. Every week we have riddles and we get so many answers. And people have called and they said, but David, you never tell us what you think the answer is. So I'm going to try, time permitting, at the end of every program to put in a piece where we go over last week's riddle and we, I either agree, disagree, and you feel free to criticize me. Listen, I always like to say, all of the tired is, we're going to see that again, there's, there's Tyra teaches us how to debate. So that'll be at the end of the program, but here's one letter I got that really sort of, it disturbed me for better words. And the letter was about last week's riddle. Last week's riddle for those who you weren't listening was as such. There's a famous Yisoy, the Briskarov says, and they use it in Brisk in many areas. And it's based on a Gemara in Brachis that it says, Chizkiyo HaMelech didn't have children. So the Navi came to him and he said, Shaya said, why aren't you having children? Mice Thomas, you're going to die. So he said, I'm not having children because I saw that my child, my grandchild, who was Menashe, would be go out with Tarbis Ras. I didn't want to have a grandchild. So the Navi said, You have no right. So Chizki, in effect, did have children and he lived. Okay, so the Briskrav says, What do you take out of Akamara? You have a mitzvah to have puravu. You have a cheshbin, the child's it's going to be a Russia. We don't make cheshbinus. We don't look into the, we don't look into mitzvahs. We do as told. Chafetz Chaim has a different shot in the Gemara there. So yes, on the Briskarov, you see, by Noyach, he said, Rabbi Shalom told him, leave the Tev and Puravu. And then, he, it says again, Puravu. So Rashi says, why does it, what, what's going on here? He said, he said Puravu, but then Noyach was worried that, um, how could I, Hayadoyig? And he says, how can I have children? Another marble is going to come to the world, i.e. it's inevitable. I mean, man sins. Right? Another marble is going to come to the world. So I don't want to have children. So Rabbi Shalman says, Hiskim al Yad, it was maskim to him. And he said, because of that, I'm going to bring a Keshes that says every time a marble would come, the Keshes says, I'm not going to do it. So Neuch was actually correct. He would, there would have been another marble. But he says, uh, and HaKadosh Baruch was maskim and the Keshes. So I asked, L'chayr loyte briskerov, what right did Neuch have to make Cheshbonis? Why should I have kids? A marble is going to come to the world. Similar to, to what Hiskiah did. And it says, yeah, Kaddish Baruch was Hiskim al So I said, it's a question on the Briskarov, it's a shadow on the Briskarov, and you see from here that you're allowed to make Cheshbonis if something doesn't seem, it doesn't seem to add up. That was my Shaila. So this young man wrote to me, 
Well, listen to what he writes. And I'm going to translate it into English. He says, it's Pashat that the Yisoyed of the Briskarov is Emes Chai V'Kayim. And then he writes, If you disagree with the Briskarov, or in this case, ask a question on him, is Kichaylik Al Ashchina. If you ask a question, it's Kichaylik Al Ashchina. And I want to respond to that. Interesting. First of all, I mean, the Chafetz Chaim disagrees with the Briskarov. Chafetz Chaim learns Peshat in the Gemara of Hadikavshid Rachman Alamali. Not like the Briskarov that you don't ask questions, but he just says he didn't do his math correctly and the children actually did tshuva. So are we going to say that the, uh, I guess, the uh, Chafetz Chaim is also Chaylik al I mean, imagine saying such a thing. You know, there are, in the 60 Mesechtas that there are, 61 or 63, depending how you count, over 800 Prakim. In two of the 800 Prakim, there is no Machlaikis. Every other one is 798 out of 800 has machlekes. fighting with each other of all sorts, disagreeing. And one of the great things about Klal Yisrael that has Chachami Kala Amim is our history and our culture of debate. Machlekes Hashem Shemayim. And so it's, it's to me, it's really, it's something new when somebody says a machleik is to ask a kasha on an achren. We're not talking about asking on, you know, first of all, we ask on the Gemara either. We ask on Rava, you have a shverakai, the Gemara makes it, but it's here, it's on asking on an achren from the last dair, is kechaylik alashchina. It's, I, I think it comes from, by the way, you know, it comes from Christianity. By the, uh, by the goyim, there's a concept of papal infallibility. That the Pope is, uh, is, uh, is like an extension, if you could say it, I don't even want to say, and therefore he, he cannot make a mistake. And let me show it to you all the way from the beginning. What do we say in Vayikra Dawa? The concept of a parhelem davar. And the Gemara Darshan, so what is this referring to? It's referring to the Bezdin Hagadol Biusharaim, the Sanhedrin. That if they paskined and the tzibur was toya, the Sanhedrin was toya psikas halacha, and they were matter davar aser, and uh, that would be amazed I Mrs. Bezdin, the halacha is we bring a carbon, and we're called the shaygeg. And I'll tell you an interesting shayel that Devri Chaim in Chelik Beis talks about a problem where a city, the uh, the the rav of the city made a, a mistake in the in the uh, when he, the way he measured the um uh, the uh, the mikveh. And for 14 years, the tefillah was shaloi kalacha, and all the bias were bias nida, the children were benedid, etc. So they asked, do they, are they chayev kapara, or are they have a den of an oinus? Look, who would he ask a shayla on the rav? He's the dastairi, he's the gadol, etc. The different Chaim says, was asked, do we have a den of an oinus? He says, no. He says, the Gemara and Hoyrius and Dav Gimel says, Yachid Shasal Piroz Bezdin, and the Raman Paskins like that, by the way, in the beginning of Shkagas, like the Gemara and Yavamis, it's called the Shaykig and not an oinus. And he says, why? He says, the Torah was Machayev, a carbon. He says, and like the Taz says, and Evan Ezra, Simon Yudzayan, that what? Havele Lamedak, a person should have asked. And you see that la halacha, the shach in Semen Chafei, he says, Kalatoye bedvar Mishnah dova baru, Havile lishiule ulegaluye to usei, Vile Havile lemesmachale. You should have asked. There's no, we don't have in Yiddishkeit the question, I followed blindly, I didn't ask any questions on a toys. We have no right to say, I took my brain out and I put it on a shelf and I followed. This is the Devri Chaim. You're a litvishel. Let's see what the Ruach Chaim says. Chaim Velashin in Avis, Perik Aleph, Mishnah Dalad. Listen to this Lashin. Osaloi letalmid lekabel divrei rabbi kishyesh lekushis aleim. 
Remember, the, uh, he's writing about the Briskrov. He, he goes in Derech of, uh, of Reb Chaim Velazhin, his grandfather. This is what his grandfather, the Briskrov. Asaloi letalmud lekabel divri rabbi kishieshle kushes aleim. Ulapamim yahemesem atalmud. Sometimes the Talmud is right. And let's go now. Let's go to Ramosha Feinstein. The Shalosh Somebody was very apologetic about arguing with him. Let's face it, who could argue with Ramosha in the last generation? Certainly a Rava, a garden variety Shail. Ramosha writes like this, Masha misnatzel kvoterasei. The Masha Chalakalai. This is that you're apologizing and giving all kinds of apologies. Aldvar Halacha. He says, no, Absolutely not. Kain derech ha This is the derech of the taira. Shetzorich levar ha-emes. We must search for the truth. Chas v'shalom ilishtay. Chas v'shalom to be silent. If you believe me, shesai v'shene kain bein l'kula bein l'chumra. Chas v'shalom. Heaven forbid. Why? Because our history, going back all the way to, I guess, since Tyre Shabal Peh, is we debate, we struggle, we ask, and we never shut down a, 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 a Talmud who asks, like the Reb Chaim says, maybe the Talmud will actually be correct. Well, like the Gemara says, it's not talking about the Talmud who agreed with everything, it's a Talmud who probably asked questions. So this concept of, you know, you ask a question, it's it goes against the Torah and Vayikra. It goes against, we saw by, you know, Kabbalah, the Shach, the Taz, etc., the, the Avia Yeshivas, Aviha Yeshivas, Reb Chaim writes that way. We saw from by Chassidim, even though they have the Chassidim follow the Rebbe. The great Sanzarov says, if you followed and you should have asked and you should have been Medayik and you weren't, it's your fault and you're considered a Shaykeg. So, of course, we have to ask with the greatest respect. When we ask a Kashan or a Kivega, on a Rajba, on a Gemara, we ask with the greatest respect. But Avada, our Derech, is to ask. And if you don't, you're a Taya. So I will go, I will go through the riddles and, uh, answer, uh, or point out the difficulties, starting with the Sukkot riddle, the one, the rush that we believe nobody got the right answer. I'll, I'll, I'll explain why I disagreed with, even though they quoted Kamagadailam, who said a certain tarot, we, we struggling understanding that tarot, the riddle, I believe is better than any Tarotim. And this week's riddle will go through, I think, eight or seven of the different Tarotim that people are called in about the, our question on the Briskarov. We'll see if we can do it weekly. It's a matter of question of time. But let's continue and, Let's go to Alvart for the week. So here's a thought on this week's Parsha. Really a powerful thought. I've, I received this letter a number of years ago. It's one of the saddest letters I've ever gotten. This is from a girl. When I graduated high school, I didn't want to go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael because I get homesick. I'm a homebody. My parents said I had to go for a good shidduch. So I went to seminary. I didn't particularly like it. I got homesick. After seminary, I came home. I got a job. I worked for two years. One day, my mother came home. All excited, I was, quote, red to a boy from a hush of a family. She was shining. What a shidduch. What she was really saying between the lines is, wow, what are the neighbors going to say about us? What a good example this will set for the younger children. This is going to elevate the family to a new level. I went out with the boy. He was a nice boy. He wasn't really my type. My parents were so proud. My friends were talking about it. So we got engaged. The wedding had to be in an expensive place because it was such a prominent family. My parents couldn't afford it, so they borrowed money, and I contributed the savings I had for my two years of work. We now live in blank, where my husband wanted to learn. So I went to a school I didn't want to go to. I married a boy who wasn't my type, who I didn't particularly like. I had an expensive wedding with money we didn't have. I live someplace where I don't want to live. All to impress people who I barely know and who I don't care about. Signed, in prison for life. Can you talk about this on your program? Is it important to live for yourself or to live for others? 
I receive letters like this pretty often. I got one just two weeks ago. Really, you know, a father who said his son got addicted to the internet and spends his entire time on Facebook and on Instagram comparing himself to other people. He said his son has become basically sick, his normal son, because when you compare on Instagram to other people, there's always somebody smarter, better looking. I can read these letters one after the next. Here's a letter I got from a shliach, a very sad letter. I sent my daughter to America because we live out of the country. She went to a seminary, something happened, and she became very traumatized. According to her psychologist, she was shamed in front of a group of people, and none of her peers stood up to protect her. It has caused her a deep wound. Since then, she's become bulimic, and occasionally, she attempts suicide. Whatever, he goes on, the power of fitting in, of needing to be like, getting the approval of other people, the pressure to be liked, to be popular, or the worst, not to be looked down on by others. What could be worse, to be looked down by others? Do you ever have any of these fears? You, You just, maybe you'll be shamed. We're not good enough. And what does it mean? We're prisoners. Prisoners to what other people think of us. Do we have to be? Think of it. Do we have to live our lives of prisoners? Last week in this week's Parsha, we have two people, two superheroes. Nayach, 120 years he built the Teva. What does the Medrash say in Tanchoma? They laughed at him. A nutcase, a religious nutcase. A marble is coming. When he planted the trees, not to Arazim, they laughed at him. When he cut them down, they laughed at him. When he turned them into boards, they laughed at him. Nayach did what he wanted to do. He just looked at them and said, no. The power to say no. I'm going to go my own way. And Avram, Avram is called Avram Ha'ivri. Now they're fundamentally different, Nayach and Avram. Nayach just walked away. He, he just did what he wanted to do. He didn't even respond. He didn't engage. He wasn't a spoil at all, but he didn't engage with them. You see people like this. I'll share with you. The Rishon who has printed more, we have more from him than any one of the Rishonim. It's not the Rambam, it's not the Ramban, it's not the Rajba, it's not the Ritva. It's the Me'iri, more printed from the Me'iri than any of the above. Who was he? We don't know. He lived in a little town in Provence. There's no correspondence of him with anybody else. I'm sure in his town, what do they say about him? Who's that guy? He sits a whole day in the show writing and writing and writing. Why doesn't he get a job? Who is he writing this all for? Isn't this absurd? The Me'iri had his own path, his own road, his own shvil. And he just kept walking and marching. And now, 800 years later, there's not a Jewish home. There's not a Talmud Tachem who doesn't have a Meiri. Avram was very different. So some people can do that. They can just, they have their belief and they just go their own way. They don't need to engage. But some people are more extroverted. They need people. They don't like to be lonely. They like to have friends. Avram was certainly the extrovert. He went from town to town. So it's interesting. Noyach was for the introvert's way. Avram for the extrovert. He says, I'm going to engage. I'm going to be part of them. And yet I'm still going to be Avram Ha'ivri. I'm still going to retain my own mission. Where does that come from? In Yadus, that ability to say no to all this pressure. How do we do it? What's the psychology behind it? How do we say, I'm not going to be a prisoner to other people's approval? So what does the Mishnah say in Echadin Imaminus? When a person is born... Adam Nivra Yechidi. Adam was born alone. 
And every man is considered like Adam. He was worthy of being born as a Yachid. In fact, the Mishnah says, Bishvili nivra oilam. Every person is supposed to say, For me, the world was created. Akrab Nachman famously teaches this Mishnah in Echadini Mamanis, and he says, The day that you were born is the day the Rabbi Shalom decided that the world cannot live without you. The day you were born is the day HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided the universe cannot live without you. So you are really the purpose of the Bria. And what does the Mishnah say? If you save a life, it's like if you saved an entire world. Because each person is an entire world. Each person is unique, is different. And scientifically, we know thousands of years after the Mishnah, almost 2,000 years after the Mishnah, what do we know? What they said spiritually, we know DNA, scientifically, no two people have the same DNA. Every person is Chad Pa'ami. Chad Pa'ami, a one-time event. That means you. And you know, when we lose that, when we start living the life of the Joneses, it's a form of suicide. That special thing that's supposed to be you and me, that one-time event, we killed it. We killed it for our neighbor, for Sepasnisht, Vosvetyen Zagin. We don't want to be alone. We want to be liked. We don't want to be looked down on. So we kill that Yechidus, that is us. And that truly, by the way, at some point it creates depression. All this copying says, I'm a prisoner for life. I, the me died. Rabunim of Pshischa. They used to say, in Pshischa, they said, until Pshischa, all of Chesidus was a Pirish on the Balshem. After Pshischa, all of Chesidus will be a Pirish of Pshischa. Okay, that's what they said in Poland. Other places didn't, but that's when, he was certainly a very great rabbi. What did he say? He said, if the Rabbi Shalom came to me and he said, I want to make you like Avram Avinu, I would say, Rabbi Shalom, you already have an Avram Avinu. You don't need two. You need a Rabbinim of Pshischa. You need Binim of Pshischa. So he says, I wouldn't want to be Avram Avinu. I want to be Binim of Pshischa. And what does that mean? Lech Lecha. Put your own name into that. The Rabbi Shalom, the Sfasema says, Hashem said it to Avram. Hashem said it to the world, to all of us. Avram heard it. But to every Jew, go to yourself. Not to Avram Avinu, not to Rabbinim. Go to who you are. That's what the Rabbi Shalom wanted. So Avram was really different. Noyach walked away. like he, he did like the Miri. He did like Van Gogh. Van Gogh was considered a madman in his life. He sold one painting in his entire life. But four of the top ten most expensive paintings ever sold were Van Gogh. He, he had his mission and he knew it. He went his own way. Avram was different. Avram engaged. Avram said, I love you, but I don't want to be a prisoner to your approvals. Avram said, I love you. Avram Ahuvi. Avram is Oilam Chesedi Bana. Avram was soup kitchens and helping everybody. I love you, but I don't want to copy you. I love you, but I need to be myself. I need to do things my way. I love you, but I hear the words Lech Lecha pounding in my ear. Go your own way. I love you, but I need to be me. So the next time you're looking for somebody else's approval, you're doing something not because it speaks to you, but because you don't want to be alone, you want to be popular. Take this power that we've inherited from Avram, from Nayach, the ability to say, I love you, but I need to be me. No. And now for the riddle of the week, I'll ask two riddles. I figured I would ask about Mila. Everybody here 
know somebody who's making a bris. God willing, they'll have a child making a bris, an anical making a bris, and they need a dvar Torah. <laughs> so I'll ask you two riddles. You'll, be, you'll get to use them. So here's the first one. I've spoken about this a number of times in different ways. But we know that the uh, Shulchan Aruch Paskins in Shin Chavtes, in Archaim, that by, by, by Dini Nefashis, by Pikuach Nefesh, when it comes for danger of life, somebody has a makas chalal. He's, he's something inside him hurts. They call atzala, atzala right away comes because yichayshish for me it's five percent, two percent, one percent, or a tenth of a percent. It's a shell of how how far the meat goes. Magadavram seems to say till a thousand, one in a thousand. Whatever the case is, yichayshish for the meat and you don't go basarayv. And where does the Gemara? Gemara says it from a svara in in uh, in Yuma. Right, the last parak of Yuma. So here's the Shaila. What's the halacha? Mila, the Gemara says that a certain percentage, we don't know how much, of, of children die from Mila. So why do we still do Mila? If there's a there's a there's a shash miut a, a miut that children will die because obviously the Torah said that b'makom mitzvahs Mila we're not chayshish for the miut you go basarayv. Right, so the question is like this. If you see by Pikuach Nefesh, by Mila, the Gemara names on for a Pashto, said even though it is a Shash of Misa, what's the halacha? Avadi, otherwise there would be no brisson by Kal Yisrael. So when the Gemara in Shah and Yuma says that Nafla of Mapoilas, the Gemara says a Svara doesn't have any Raya that by Pikuach Nefesh, Yechayshish Femiat, you say Chayshish Lamit, we see Beferish by Mila, you're not Chayshish by Miat. Hell of a cash on the Gemara Numa and the Shulchan Aruch Paskins the way Shinchavtes. How could you say that by Shabbos and Oid and Yom Kippur, etc., the halacha chulu, the halacha is Yechayshish Lamiat, and you don't go by Hatzalas Nefashisacha Roiv, but Yechayshish for the Miat and you Machmir and you are Machal Shabbos and you do it on Yom Kippur, whatever the case may be. How could it be then that why don't you learn from Mila that you're not that you that you're not Chayshish for Miat and you go Basarayv? That is Kasha number one. I didn't see anybody who told Zachan. I think it's a, a wonderful Hara. Here is Hara number two. Another Mila Kasha. What does the, the Pasik say? Maltem is paralaschem. V'hoyel ois bris b'ni u'b'neichem. Here it is. The great Shach. Nyeredeya simen reish samachais of Katan Chavdalad. And also, the great Magan Avram. Arachayim simen chavhei of Katan Chavches. And they lived pretty much at the same times. You know, he lived in Poland. He lived in uh, the the uh, and the the Shach originally in Lita, and then in he died in Czechoslovakia. But they lived at the same period. So both the Shach and the Magen Avram, the leading decisor on Yeridei, the leading decisor on Arachaim, say that when there's a bris in the in shul, ein choyltsen hatfilin ad la You keep the tefillin on until after mila. Why? Because tefillin it says ice. And by Mila it says ice, So you want to have this ice on when you're doing the other ice. It's a pella. Why the halacha is, Shulchan Aruch says in Simulam at Aleph, the what? You don't put on tefillin on Shabbos and Yom Tif. Why? Because Shabbos is an ice. Right? And tefillin is an ice. And what? And it's a, it's a zilzal in the ice of Shabbos if you're wearing the ice of tefillin. Why don't you say the same thing? Just like by Mila, you want to have one ice when you do the other ice. Same thing on Shabbos with tefillin. You want to have the ice of Shabbos together with the ice of tefillin. So kasha on the shach, great shach, and the mug of rum. Those are our two riddles of the week. To leave a message, call 732 806-8700 and press number 2. 
or email at info at headlinesbook.com. Let's go, Tawi guests. Joining us from Eretz Yisrael is Rabbi Uri Zohar, who is the most famous Balchuva in Eretz Yisrael. So he's particularly equipped to answer you know, our questions. Welcome, Rabbi Zohar. Shalom Aleichem. Rabbi Zohar, could you tell us in short your, your story? My own story. Until the age of 14, for oh, I didn't even know I, nothing, nothing at all. You have to understand, we, we were living in a very different epoch. They not only didn't teach us Torah, didn't teach us what is Mishnah, what is Gemara, what is Medrash, nothing. They, 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 they told us that it's a mythology. You know, there are many mythologies in the world. In the world, Indian mythologies, uh, Asian mythologies, all kinds. And one of the mythologies is also what's written in this thing, which is called Bible, and. Uh, it's a mythology. So we didn't know anything at all. And uh, then the Kodesh Boru sent me my rabbi, Zilberman, and he proved to me logically, and I couldn't disprove, I tried, tried very hard to disprove him, but I couldn't, that there is a way to the the world, and he gave Torah, and the Torah that we have today with us is the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu gave us in Mount Sinai. And I couldn't deny this proof. I tried, I tried hard even, but I couldn't. So I accepted this as a kafona v'alkigigis, like, uh, you know, uh, I have to do it. But then the second step was that he sent to me his son-in-law, Ravasushin. Shlita, and he began to teach me Torah, and this made the whole difference. This made the whole difference. Then I discovered the first time I was 40 years old. What what is what is what is Torah at all? and this made the whole difference. And then it began step by step. Then we left Jaffa. We were, we were living in Java in a very big house uh, on the sea beach. We went to Jerusalem. And then uh, that's it. And then uh, more and more and more. And which I'm trying to still stay about Chuve, not to become Haredi, to stay about Chuve and continue. If you were to speak to a college boy today in the United States, to who? And he, college boy, college, yeah. To a college boy that, in the United States today. Yeah. And he were to tell you, listen, you know, I, I studied science, I studied evolution and Darwinism and I can't I just can't bring myself to believe I see no proof that would cause me to change my way what would you tell this college boy I cannot I cannot now repeat the proof that because that that but I will tell you I will I will tell you the 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 peak I tell you the peak the 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 Abzuman gave me many proofs. I argued this and this and that. But I hope that you will understand what I'm going to tell you now, which was the really the Makabe Patish. It was this. He said to me, "Is there 
as he, uh, how, how did religion begin? How do religions begin? So I said, there comes a reformer, he wants to make people better, not to murder, not to steal, not to make bad things, bad things. So he tells us there's an almighty, and if you do the good thing, you get Ganeden, you get the bad thing, you get Ganem, and uh, this is a, it's a way of making better the society. So he asked me, oh, very, he said, very logical, very logical. So he said to me, please tell me, what moral essence is there in killing a person who writes two letters on one day, which is called Shabbos. What is the social value, moral value, any value at all? An old woman sits there and knits, and two people come to her with big beard, beards, and they say to her, Bobby, Bobby, raise Heinti Shabbos. I say, yeah, yeah, there's this tune there. You can take the tune there. And then they say, Bobby, you know, this is Mordor. I say, this knitting. She makes two knits. You take this out, out the Bobby, take her out, and you stone her. What is the moral reason? This was a question I could not answer. So he said to me, so it's one of two possibilities. Either... It's a nation of Meshuggahne people, the most Meshuggahne people in the world, and no Meshuggah house will accept these Meshuggahnes, or it's a worldly word. It cannot be any other thing. So to say that the Nevim and the Tanoim and the Rambam and the Raman, and the Gurishan, three, four hundred years of, of a tradition of Meshuggahnes, which include the most clever people in the world, this, this is not logical. So this was the peak. This I couldn't answer. So this was a proof. I hope and that it made this made this made mamish the the this was the makkeva patish. And I hope that you understand it because it's either or. It cannot be a human invention. The laws of the Torah cannot be human invention. So how these people for 3,400 years keep this, these laws, which has no, I mean, not all of them, of course, there are laws, which are, of course, but part of the laws, sharpness, kilaim, thermal piston, uh, I, I don't know, ribis, ribis, all these things, which, which cannot be explained in any, in any human logical, uh, 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 Logical way. So it has to be the godly world. This is it. And, and Rabbi Zohar, how would you respond to a college boy who says, look, you know, it's established science today, evolution, Darwinism, um, you know, survival of the fittest. How would you respond to him? Because that is what they teach. This is not, it is, a, it is the greatest lie in the world. It is not an established science. It's all speculations. All speculations. They make a speculation about Darwinism that it looks like, that, but but it, nothing is nothing is really based on simple proofs. It is not. So, uh, I I think, uh, and I, of course I tell you, uh, I, I I'm I'm not I'm not a specialist in in proving these things. There are people in Arachim, Neivlachim. Is, is an organization that 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 soil established it. They 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 made this this movement. And I will tell you, what happened is that they decided 
for the first time, I think, in the history of the Israeli, Israeli uh, Jewish nation, that Bnei Teire will go out and knock on doors and come in and begin. And we said to, to them, what, what should they do there? said, learn with them to you. And I tell you the truth, that uh, I, when I heard this, I said to myself, what are they talking about? What do you mean, Torah? You said, as, as the rabbi said, you have to prove exactly evolution and mutations and this and that and all these things. What was, what was, what I just, we discovered is that it's the new epoch. You knock on a door and you come in and you say, let's learn a little bit Torah. And where, what you learn, where you are, where you are, holding Gmore, Gmore, Babitzir, Babitzir, Babasre, Mishneh, Choykli, Israel, whatever. And you learn, it's as simple as that, I tell you. And especially what's happening now in Eretz Israel is unbelievable. Unbelievable. People feel that everything is shattered down. They don't have any, all the exterior frames are not holding. People don't care about the work, they don't care about this, they don't care about that. They, 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 they try to hold to it, but, but they feel the whole ship is rocking. So there is a, an expression, the Zohar, which says, which means the main must, you have to hold to it. And people look at it, I tell you, they're talking about thousands and thousands of people. They come without yarmulkes, they come with earrings, they put the yarmulkes because they go into the Bismedrash. And they look for, for the going sense, there is the Emune in Yehuda is Boch. The Emune in, in the thing, I don't know how to say Yehud. The Yehud of the Boko doesn't leave any soul of any, sorry? The singularity what? is Singularity. This, this yeah, Emune, singularity. Emune, singularity, yes? Yeah. Singularity, singularity, what we saying, yeah. This Emune doesn't leave any soul of any Jewish person. Never. It's there. It's hidden. It's covered with many other outer, outside layers, but it's there. And Amoyer Shema Mochzimuta, where I tell you, we are talking today, we need the gas for the buses to take thousands of, uh, literally, thousands of Reichim all over the country. And they're going to base Medrash, and they're going to homes, small groups, greater, bigger groups, whatever, and this is it. And you see, and this is all, and this is the oil And this is what's happening today yep. as well. In America, it's a little bit harder to teach them Torah because they don't read Hebrew. <laughs> but the questions I get on campus always are um, the dinosaurs. Did the scientists make up the dinosaurs? Nobody found any dinosaurs. They found bones which they say that this dinosaurs is a bone of a dinosaur. The whole thing is in a speculation. I tell you, <laughs> I, 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 never, I heard about it so many speeches long ago, many years ago. Nobody, nobody knows. How was the evolution from fish to uh, earth animals? Animals that live on the earth. What was the evolution? Nobody talks about. It. Nobody knows. How did it go out from the sea and became uh, with lungs and breathing air? And how? And, uh, it is. Listen, I, I will tell you something. If, if this person, which is a college person, will ask me a proof, I say to him, I ask him very question, very simple question. You take a seed of an orange, which weighs one gram, half a gram. Okay, you put it in the earth. You you pour on it water, 
And then this seed takes out small, small, you know, branches, very thin branches, and it begins, begins to grow, and it grows to be an oak with branches, with oranges. He lifts up to the air a, to, a ton and a half, a ton and a half of weight of branches and oak and oranges. Where does this weight come from? Where does this weight come from? There's only one answer. It comes from the earth. So this seed of orange knows how to make from earth oranges. It changes, it changes the special structure, special S-P-A-I-T-A-L, space, yes, special. The special structures of these molecules which are theirs, it builds from these same molecules, a different order of molecules, and these molecules begin to grow. You ever saw Earth growing? No. The, the, but DNA, this, in other words, the DNA in the orange seed has the directions, how to take the minerals, water out of the earth, use chlorosynthesis, and through that, create, you know, grow and become... Ah, so it does, he knows how to make from water and earth oranges. Yeah. Please ask one, or ask all the scientists in the world to build such a seed in their laboratory, to build such a small seed, which it doesn't cost even one penny. It doesn't cost, you spit it out from the corner of your mouth, from the middle of your mouth, from the corner you spit it out. Please, don't make like a, such a seed. Can they make such a seed? <laughs> so, this is what we told this college person. I might tell you, I think that we are very, very close to the, the end. You see it. And I think that this inner point in the soul of each Jew, it can be a college boy, can be a Jew, is there. You have to reach it. And you treat it with love and with Torah. This is what the Torah says. The going says in many places that the Torah will be the the Gevurah, the through Torah, maybe a bit more in in inner inner part of the Torah. Remez, but behind Sifre Yitzkun Min Galuse. With this book, which is the Torah, with this book, they'll go out from the Galus to Gevurah. I think that this is what we have to do to enable more and more Avraham to go out to reach out to these people, to, to teach, to teach, to learn with them Torah, and Amoyah Shabbat Mazel And this is it, and this is Neblachim. That's why I'm in this organization for the last 30 years, almost 30 years, and, and all the way they're making, most, most, most of the organization, 99%, for, they don't take even one penny, I don't take even one penny for that, but the, the, the satisfaction, the, 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 the seeing of people beginning to cry, beginning to cry. You, you reach the, this inner point in a Jewish soul. This is a shachanti betocham. I, I, myself, the Kodesh Boru, dwell in these souls of Am Yisrael. Not betoicho. If it will be toicho, it will be besamikdash, mishkan. No, betoicham, plural, in each soul of each Jew. This is the Shechina this holy dwelling, and we reach this dwelling. With Torah, this make Yichud Kut Shabrichu Shechintei, and this is the Geulah.
And, and how many people have you been able to impact with Leiv Lachet in the, uh, <laughs> the thirty years since you were I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. Yossi Carmel is there. He can tell you numbers. I can tell you we are talking about many, many thousands, many, many thousands of people. I am, Baruch Hashem, not I'm a little bit, uh, you know, uh, I cannot run around all over the country, but uh, but these operations do it, and uh, it's unbelievable. Rabbi, what you've done, you've been able to do it, like with real Ashkenazi, Chiloni, very like. Really I tell active. you, everybody today, Ashkenazi, Chiloinim, I have friends. Listen, you know my you know my profession before I was I was in show business. So uh, I meet from time to time my old friends. They all look at me with envy. How did you do it? How did you do it? And I tell them, learn a little bit too. Uh, sorry, they are, they are my friends are all the old people. The only one of you who stayed young is me. But they, but but, but I see, I this is envy. They saw this. They they look at me. And they saw, and they see that I'm, I'm the happiest person in the world. I'm the happiest person in the world. What, what can I, what in, in this world I can take instead of what I have today? There is nothing in this world that I want that I don't have. Nothing in this world that I want that I don't have, and I have even much more than that. Baruch Hashem. So this is it. You don't have to prove, you have to, to tell, learn to love with these people, this Ashkenazi, yeah, yeah, Ashkenazim, Chiloinim, secular people, this Shachanti Besoichom, this godly dwelling in each Jewish soul, soul, this is what being touched today by Torah. And this is it. So, a lot of people are under the conception that if you become a Fromid, you, you're giving up Olam Haze, and you, it's a Chaye Tzar Tichya, and Asid Lover, you're going to get Tzar. But you're saying it's not, that you're it's saying not that true. Your Olam Haze is a different Olam Haze. It's not true. The Olam Haze is bigger than any other Olam Haze. You eat, you have to eat very, very good and to be misanic on Olam Shabbos, but you do it for Shabbos. And if you have to eat everyday meat because it helps you in worshiping the Boyerolom, eat every everyday meat. It is not true. means, yeah, of course, that you are not spending your life on Tivus, you're not spending your life on money, you're not spending your life on COVID, all this kechalom. We should be very, very careful not to be ashamed in what we are spending our lives for. This is true. But it doesn't mean that you are living. It's not true. It's, it's, it's a, as one who has the reptile says, has to sit tiny for tiny. Why? It has to be aimed to the real taxes, to the real purpose. Everything that serves the purpose is a mitzvah. You have to sleep seven hours a day, sleep because it helps you in terror. You can sleep less, so I'm spending time. I don't see a millionaire that can make another two million dollars now going to sleep. And uh, the, the same here. 
זה מחשב, הפסד מצווה כנגד שכרה, שכר עבירה כנגד מצווה. ביר סויכר, ביר סויכר, ביזנסמן, that's all. If something serves the purpose, it's a mitzvah to do it. Eating, sleeping, whatever. Well, Rabbi Uri, thank you very much for your inspirational work. I thank you very much, and I hope that we will all be dancing with Mashiach Zidkenu Bekorim Mamesh together. Amen. All our friends Amen. in America, Eretz Yisrael, together. Am Yisrael. Ata echad, v'shimcha echad, v'mik avcha Yisrael, goi echod v'aretz. Amen v'omen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Lechtenstein. Thank you. Joining us is Rabbi Yanki Aram. He's the chairman of Te'ilim Lev L'Achem. Welcome, Rabbi Yanki. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi David. Thank you for having me. Rabbi Yanki, I had on um, Rabbi Uri Zohar of Lev L'Achem, but we, I didn't ask him, what is the scope of Lev L'Achem? How big is it? What does it accomplish? Can you give us a snapshot of the footprint of Lev L'Achem? Sure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, everybody probably listening to this program today grew up with a Pihil and Pushka, with the blue Pushka, and going around, and everybody was collecting the nickels and dimes and quarters for it. And people probably think it's a 70-year-old organization. It's, you know, it's a bunch of old people in Eric Yisrael walking around and telling people to do tshuva. So they're a little surprised to find out that it is one of the largest organizations in the world. We have 1,400 people on staff. Now, on staff in Eric Yisrael means that they work 18 hours a day, we pay them $18,000 a year, and they're usually a few months behind on their payment. It's, it's that kind of crazy, mysterious nefesh that enables them to do uh, unbelievable work uh, with, uh, with an unbelievable small budget comparatively to any other organization in the world. They also have about 4,000 young galayit, uh, as you are well aware here, Rav Shach, and then uh, Zatzal, and then Rav Stein and Zatzal, uh, established that uh, the young galayit have to go out and give meiser of their time here, uh, to, to bring people closer to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. So you have uh, some people going every night, some people once a week, twice a week, knocking on doors. And these are not professional uh, uh, people with smooth uh, tongues and explaining to people. They actually knock on the door and ask them if they want to learn Tyra. And I've been there with them. And uh, it, it's unbelievable to see people here that are bareheaded. And they said, come, of course I want to learn a little Torah, Torah, however they pronounce it. Uh, I've been there to show many times. And I've seen some of these shiurim uh, with adults, with teenagers, that if you see these teenagers in the streets here in New York, you would cross the street. Uh, Mohawks, uh, scary-looking guys. And they're arguing in Gemara, like the, the risk of the Arisa. I mean, this, this idea to go learn Gemara with them, you know, Shoshanagach Zapara, uh, in the beginning everybody thought, uh, like, what are these gedayim thinking? And, and, and it's been unbelievable. But uh, let's start with the children. I mean, we're dealing with children, we're dealing with teenagers, we're dealing with adults. But according to estimates, there are one and a half million children, that don't know how to say Shema Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, one and a half million children don't know what the words of Shema Yisrael. And it, the, the number is very ironic. Uh, someone pointed out to, uh, to us recently here, because that's the number of children that Nebuchadnezzar were murdered in the Holocaust. And those children we can't bring back, unfortunately. But these neshamas we could bring back. And honestly, from America, all it takes is the money. We don't have the, uh, the Messiah's nefesh to go and spend hours and hours and hours. They need our help financially. Our budget is $10 million a year. We're dealing with 18,000 families. 
on a weekly basis. Our success rate is probably somewhere between 70 and 75%. Uh, we're really, really changing the face of Eretz Yisrael. I mean, uh, the, the data from about 25 years ago when Meid Laichem started, the amount of children in elementary school getting the Haredi education, I believe, was at 8%. Today it's at 33%. And they say in about 15 or 20 years it's going to be over 50%. And a good portion of that is due to, to the work of Leib Laachim, how they take children out of the Mamachti schools and they put them into Torah schools. They've been doing it for 25 years. But again, there's, there's 10 different divisions. There's 100 Bate Midrashim at night for learning for adults all around Eric Yisrael. You go to any city in Eric Yisrael, there's a Leib Laachim office there. They have, uh, they have volunteers by the Koso. Everybody knows Ramea Shusta, Zechat Tzadik Lebracha. But Ramea really works with Americans. And somebody approached the people from Leib Laachim about three, four years ago, and say, what about the, what about the Israelis? So, the Bori Zola, he should, he should be well in Gazunt here, and then Rebezi Sarotskin, the, uh, the mankal of, of Leib Laachim and Chinech they went down to the Koso, and the first ten people that came with the paper yarmulkes, the Israelis, they asked them, the Torah, and eight out of ten people said yes. They caught them by that moment of inspiration by the Koso here, and they took down their phone numbers, and now we have people by the Koso, 24-7, and the last time we checked the numbers, there was about 17,000 people in one year that gave their number to Leib Lachim, and about 65% of them are still learning or already passed on to the next thing became Shemitah Mitzvah, just from this moment of inspiration by the Kaisal. So, uh, the, the, the Neshamas are there for the picking. I always say that in World War II, the, the Rabbonim and, and the Askonim were going around trying to raise money because the Germans, Yimachshman, said you could buy a Jewish body for a certain amount of money and they were for sale. So today we don't have to go through all these back channels here. There are Neshamas for sale in Eretz Yisrael. We have the people to do it here. We ask people if they could donate a minimum of $540. That's when we figure out the... It's half the price of a Danish, half the price of a coffee, and you won't have your... Uh, you won't have your, your, your sugar rush. You won't have your caffeine boots. But you'll have a Ruchnius uh, rush here. And a Schuyas boots for half the price of the coffee of a Danish. So Rabbi Sai here, anybody listening to this program, if they'd like to uh, help us out and get uh, tremendous chusim here, our online donation uh, site is levlachim, L-E-V-L-A-C-H-I-M dot org. Again, L-E-V-L-A-C-H-I-M dot org. Shikayach, Shikayach Rab David. Thank, Thank you, you so very much, much Yankee. Have a good night. Thank you. Joining us from Miami is Rabbi Yossi Gordon. He's the CEO of Chabad on Campus International. Welcome, Rabbi Yossi. Shalom Aleichem. So tell us, give us a, a synopsis. What does, before we get into our question, what does Chabad on Campus International do? Great question. So Baruch Hashem, the Jewish people have a great resource in the form of Chabad houses on campus, in the form of Chabad globally that I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced. And Chabad on Campus International seeks to assist the shluchim and the shluchais, the directors of the Chabad houses on campus, in their efforts to try to bring Yiddishkeit to their communities. Their communities include their students, it includes their local community members, their faculty, their donors, and to bring it to them in a way that's attractive and that's alive and that inspires them to become more, more aligned and more in tune with their own Jewish identity. And Chabad on Campus International seeks ways to help ensure that that success is, max, is maximized 
And we do so through providing very carefully strategic grants as well as tools and opportunities for shluchim and shluchis to engage with a higher level of success with their students and for the students to have a more meaningful Jewish journey. So that's done through various Shabbatons, through professional training, through opportunities for Torah study. It's done through community so, building. And it's how many, as well. Uh, let how me just many add one more point. You so really quickly, we are, Baruch Hashem, we have, globally we have 327 centers, of which 246 are full-time. But the, 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 one of the greatest gifts is the, the connection that the Chabad House Shluchim and Shluchis have with each other. And this is the way that we could really ensure such strength is when there's, a, when there's unity and there's a sharing of, of ideas and a sharing of strengths and a sharing of whatever issues might be, being, might be faced, that's the real koyach that then emerges. And Sir Yati, are you, are, do, you, do you know like the issues they struggle with intellectually, etc.? Can I throw at you some questions? With Hashem's help, we'll be able to have the answers. Let's see what you, ha- let's see what you ask. Okay, I'm just telling you, I have a Chabad house in my living, in my dining room on Shabbos, uh, at least once in my month. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but we just have over, and here are the questions that I get quite often. You know, uh, they'll say to me, we don't understand how women, you could have, uh, you know, three women on the Supreme Court, and, but if, if, if somebody steals a dollar, a woman can be a witch. Like, isn't that misogyny? Where's your respect for women? You, you, you know, the Orthodox, the Jews, you're like in, in the dark ages. They don't say it in such a nasty way because they're eating my food. But that's really what's behind. You know, they're basically throwing at me what they've learned in America and on campus, et cetera. Question one, I get this a lot of times. How do you respond? To the contrary, maybe that's the answer to your question. The answer to your question is the following. Do you seek to answer the question or do you seek to answer the questioner? Okay. When we think about a question that someone poses, such as this, which is a very important area of Jewish life, and how women have to be you know, respected and as well have to understand the, the, the role that Yiddishkeit has for everyone, not just women, but for men as well. Of course, every, every living being, every creation has a role in Hashem's plan. So the question is, do we look at this and say, let's talk to the question or the questioner? Very often... The questioner doesn't even really seek the answer to the question because once you say an answer, they're right on to the next question after that. And in truth, what they're seeking is a relationship that will help them get past the question. Because we have a vart, which is that for the skeptic, for the questioner, for the skeptic, there are no answers. And for the believer, there are no questions. So when you nourish someone's neshama, when you nourish a Jewish person's soul to the point where they feel a relationship with, with, with Torah, they feel a relationship with the Jewish people, they feel a relationship with God, then all these questions become areas where they seek clarity. They need to understand for the purpose of understanding, for their own purposes to be able to know how to be able to live their lives. But if it's a question to try to say, aha, this is something that I don't agree with, that's something that I don't agree with, then we have to consider, are we answering the question or are we answering the questioner? And there's a very well-known story that perhaps some of your listeners have heard about a Jew whose name was Professor Velvel Green, who also had questions about areas of conflict between Torah and science. And he asked the Rebbe, and he told the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a sharp word about how the Rebbe should stay in the areas of Torah, in the areas of rabbinics, and he'll stay in the areas of science. And the Rebbe didn't respond to his, 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 uh, his statement. And Velvel Green at the time thought that, you know, he won. Years went by, and his relationship became even closer, and he became a full-fledged Baal Teshuvah. 
And then the Rebbe and him were together, and the Rebbe said to him, I want to answer your questions that you had asked me years ago. So he said, Rebbe, I'm past it already. So the Rebbe said, yes, you are, but I want to tell you then why I didn't answer you years ago. Because at the time when you asked me those questions, I made a decision. Do I want to win the argument and lose the Yid, or do I want to win the Yid and lose the argument? So this is, I think, a very important approach. We look at another Jew, and we see a questioner, then we can embrace that questioner to help them understand the question. But if we seek to, an seek to answer the questions, so then there's a lot of very wonderful books and there are a lot of great resources. We have to try to find the Yid. We have to connect to the Yid and understand the Yid. And then when we understand the Yid, we can help the Yid be able to grow as well and be able to find the answers to the question. So, so my job would be not to answer the question and just try to build the relationship with the person. I think the opportunity to answer the question will surely come. And you need to be equipped. You need to be equipped as best as you can be. But don't let, let me share this, and that is that we cannot allow what we, what we perceive to be something that we do not necessarily do as well as we'd like to do to hold us back from embracing any opportunity to being of service. So to be of service for the Jewish people means, number one, is Avas Yisrael, is love your fellow. So when you think about this Jew that's at your table that's asking these questions, who is this Jew? Is this a stranger, or is this a person who's connected to you that they're a part of your family? Are they your sibling? Are they your child? And then motivate within yourself, obviously, Israel, to look at them in that sort of way and express to them through the right ways of being able to do so in a Torah true, halakhically sensitive way. And the, the response and the reaction that you'll have will be one that will then give you the opportunity to truly answer the question to the questioner as opposed to the question. Let me ask you another question. So you're on campus. What are you facing? Is it hostility? Is it apathy? Is it, um, what, as, what, what are your shluchim on campus? What are the, give me their battles in, in numerical order. This is number one, this is the number two, number three. Is it just disinterest? Like, it doesn't, like, why are you bothering me with religion? I'm a Packer fan. I'm a, like, what do I need this for in my life? Is it, um, like, what's the number one thing, challenge to the, to the shliach out there on, on the campus? I'll tell you this, and that is that uh, as years go by, the populations age, right? Everyone knows that. So who's today on campus? A 20-year-old kid on campus, so her parents or his parents are probably in their 40s, and his or her grandparents are probably in their 60s. The likelihood is, very sadly, that the grandparents, that they know aren't what you'd refer to as a visible Jew. In other words, their Judaism is already, not visible. It's already four diarists, you're saying. I'll rebay him. That it's already four diarists since they saw somebody who even lit Shabbos candles. And to have, to have four grandparents that are Jewish, or even two parents that are Jewish, is very, very uncommon, very sadly. It's not... not, not it, it, it's not... Uh, I wouldn't say to you that, it, that we don't have, thank God, many strong Jewish families, but we have many families that don't have this resource of having a Jewish identity going back generations. So what happens? These students view themselves the way they, they view everybody else, like everyone else is. They don't, they don't see themselves as being in some way chosen. They don't see themselves as being part of Yisrael Am Kreivay. And that is the greatest problem. 
we have to remain, we have to continually be be aware that we're talking to people who don't view themselves as being Jewish as something unique, as something special, because of the fact that they haven't seen this being valued in so many generations. Baruch Hashem, we're having tremendous hatzlacha. I have to share that with you. And as much as you hear terrible statistics about intermarriage, and it's a terrible, it's a terrible statistic without question, and every single Jew is important, and until every single Jew is engaged, and until every single Jew feels that they're part of the Jewish people, then we're not successful. That's it, Nakuda. We're not successful until we reach 100% you, you, your of Your number one challenge is, it's less than apathy. They don't even identify as Jewish, many of them. So, so, but the, at the same time, at the same time, an American, or Lavdafka, an American, a young person today, growing up, wherever they're growing up in the entire world, comes to the table with an interest and with a, with a desire to understand that is not like ever before. Is that true? And really? as much as you, yes, I believe so. And at the same time, I want to share this, and that is that as much as you hear about anti-Semitism, and it's true that there is a great problem in the world today, and we know this, and we also know that anti-Semitism has existed ever since the beginning, ever since the first Jew, there's been anti-Semitism. So therefore, it's not like it's a new thing, but nevertheless, it's here. We also know that the only real solution, the only real antidote, the only real weapon that the Jewish people have against anti-Semitism is their own Jewish identity, their own Jewish pride, and their own Jewish commitment. So therefore, that is the answer to, the, to every question about these issues when it comes to what's going on on campus, what's going on in the Jewish people, where are we going to be in uh, 25 years from now? Look at this person 25 years ago where they were, now here they are today. What's going to happen to the Jewish people? The answer is the same answer, is connect with that Yid, embrace that Yid, help that Yid feel that they're part of the Jewish people, and then you'll see that the, 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 the solutions that you're afraid, the, actually not the solutions to the contrary, the fears that you have are going to be, are going to be unrealized, because the Jewish people will be strong. And that's why we're strong the way we are today. I have to share with you that as much as you hear about terrible things going on on campus, there's literally, on a weekly basis, tens of thousands of young Jews engaging with Chabad houses on campus. Kipshutai. And over the course of a year, well north of 100,000 Yidin. And But we're not done. There's plenty of work to do. We could double ourselves in size and still not be done. So the work is great. And the opportunity is great. And the day is indeed short. How do, you, Jesse, how do you train, Jesse, how do you train guys coming from Crown Heights, just using it as a, as a, as a zip code, mm-hmm. right, to go to Wichita, Kansas, to Mamish, a, a, a Yid whose his, his, his mother's Jewish, he, th- he thinks, his great-grandfather maybe, he thinks maybe once lit a candle. His mother is, his father is Italian. His grandfather is Puerto Rican. And they mamish garnish, and a guy from Crown Heights is, you, you say, you and him, you're now going to become friendly, and you're going to, you're going to um, influence him. It's like, it's such a dover rachik minadas. It's like wild to even think of it. How do you train them? What, what do you do? What, what do you teach them? I don't think it's rachik minadas. I have to tell you. Why is it rachik minadas? What's the they difference have nothing in common. They like have, he, this guy, his college football game, in Kippur Shechal B'Shabbos, he's going to be standing at 5 o'clock in the morning to get into the stadium. He, he's living with some girlfriend. He, he's Chaza. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know anything. And yet you have a wonderful Ahela Gabacha, he's coming from Kronach, mm-hmm. I want you to be Makar of this guy. How do you do it? Because Shezalman comes to him with the most powerful force in the world. You know the most powerful force in the world. 
The most powerful force in the world is love. He comes to him with, a, with an Avas Yisrael, with a non-judgmental, that makes him realize that this is a person with whom I have a shaykhus. I, his life is different than my life. That's one of, the, one, of the, one of the great things. There was a study conducted some years ago, and one of the, the social scientists who did the study came back with a, a pellet that they couldn't understand. How come people feel that a Chabad house on campus is like their home when their own home isn't like the Chabad house? You understand the words? How come? Because the home isn't necessarily about whether or not it's got nice uh, furnishings. It's a place where you feel that you could be yourself, that you could belong. And therefore, they feel like as if it's for them a home-like place. And whether they're from Crown Heights or from any other place in the world, the message is the same. The message is the same in every environment. Even within the film community, how is it that a teacher who's 30 years old can relate to a six-year-old child? It's only if the teacher looks at this child as if it's one of his own or her own. But if they look at the child as a kid, somebody else's kid, it doesn't work. It's the same, the it's thing, the same it's story. The, the power of Ahava, the power of love. Ahava is the gematria echad. He's saying if people could be from one case of the world to the yonder. With Ahava, they become echad. You know, in every industry, you have to always understand what your why is. You know, uh, people want to know why you do it. Why do you do it? Do you do it because you want to make sure that everybody should know about something specific? Is it because you want to provide synagogue services or holiday awareness services? Is that what's most important? We must make sure that every Jew knows when Sukkot is. Of course it's important that they should know that Sukkot is the Yom Tif. But really the why isn't because of the specific holiday awareness or synagogue services or Jewish life, community, whatever it might be that we're providing. The real why for the Chabad House leaders, for the rabbi and the rabbitson and their children, is Reina Avas Yisroel. I don't know how you translate Reina Avas Yisroel. You don't have to try unadulterated, to unadulterated love for a fellow Jew. Un, uncontaminated, uncontaminated love for a fellow Jew. That means that that they Jew say, that comes hello, in... Yassi, is, the Chafetz yeah. Chaim once spoke in a court. He spoke in Yiddish. So, so they asked the judge, does he want to translate it? He said, no, I understood every word he said. So he's saying, <laughs> Reina Havas Yisrael. No, Reina Havas Yisrael. That's the message of the Chabad house. And with Ahava, Ahava Mekalkel, as Ashura, and all the football games under this is negative hava. It's it's you know keish. It's kikash prefer eish and svar fabrent, and that's not blocked. And the 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 beautiful thing is that then this Jew, who seems to be so in some ways different, really truly finds so many areas where they feel so connected, and they could still be whoever they are. They could still be that person as they make their journey from wherever they're coming from. And indeed, that's why we have to have opportunities for them to learn Torah, to be able to be part of community, to travel to other Jewish communities, to meet their fellows and their, you know, that are similar experiences. But the true, the true beginning of it all, the real why of it all, is Reina Avas Yisrael. And Rabbi when you look Yossi at a Jew Gordon, that way, you don't see differences. Rabbi Yossi Gordon, head of CEO of Chabad Campus Worldwide, an honor to speak to you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. The honor is mine. And Hashem bless you, together with all of the listeners, amongst all of Am Yisrael, with all that's good. Amen. Joining us from New Jersey is Reb Chaim Sanson, who is the head of Project Inspire. That's a division of Eish. Welcome, Reb Chaim. Thank you very much, Reb David. It's a pleasure to be here. Reb Chaim, tell us what you do and what Project Inspire is. 
I am um, the founding director of, of Project Inspire, and I try to help you know uh, make sure the organisation is achieving its its goals, and that we're trying to, as a as an organisation, really deal with the issue that we're living in a generation where you know Rahman al Aslan, you know, 80-90% of our brothers and sisters who are equally part of of Tal Yisrael as we are don't have the great benefit and pleasure of a relationship with the Shem and Torah, not necessarily to the for their own faults, they're in Tinek Shnishbu, they, you know, they, they don't know any better, and it's our Acharias to try to share with them the beauty of Torah and the pleasure of Torah, and therefore, as an organization, that's our mandate. How can we help, you know, share the beauty of Judaism with our fellow Jews? How can from Jews do that? It's, as, you know, it's a responsibility on everybody's shoulder, um, and therefore, that's really the mandate of the organization. So that's what we, you know, our goal is, and we have various means of how do we do that. You know, as a, as an organisation, B'chaseh uh, I think, uh, you know, we've done a lot of tier of training, which is to, you know, help people understand the ABCs of what to do to reach out. Baruch Hashem, we've had over 10,000 people go through our tier of training, which I think has made, uh, you know, an imprint of Rosham in, you know, on the community, certainly in in New York and in in the United States. Um, and that's just the beginning. And then different ways that people can reach out, whether it's easy outreach um, gifts that people can give on, you know, give a shalach manas to somebody who's never been received one before. That's a very simple thing that people can do or learn or learn how to reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Um, and then different levels of activating people. You know, some people, you know, can do a little and some people can do a lot. One of the things that we've done as an organization is generate groups of lay people who've taken literally hundreds, hundreds of people a year on trips to Israel, brought them back, run their own mini sort of tier of organizations and follow up with them. And this is all lay-led, as opposed to outreach professionals who normally do this type of thing. Baruch Hashem, one of the successes that we've had is to inspire people across, you know, uh, Queens, Manhattan, uh, Muncie, Brooklyn, uh, Toronto, Arizona, other places where, you know, these lay people themselves are, so to speak, like here of professionals that they're, you know, recruiting people, befriending them, running programs. And so that's been a, a really tremendous success. And the last, you know, several years, obviously with COVID, you know, that sort of made a little bit of a difference in terms of what we were doing. But certainly for the last seven year, years, we've had lay people take thousands of non-from people to Israel, bring them back and follow up on them. So, you know, there's been, you know, we have one-on-one -on -one learning. Um, somebody wants to learn. I want to do something. What can I do? Rapine, so obviously, Rapine, yeah. How, how are you, Makara? My name is uh, Jim. I work for uh, I don't know Morgan Stanley. Yeah. I know nothing about. I never heard of Avram Avinu. And now <laughs> you, you you have somebody coming to be Makara of me. I mean, how equipped is that person? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you're dealing with just with you're taking somebody who maybe learned in yeshiva a few years. Now he's going to be Makara of Jim. How does he do it? Right. So, so the simple thing is that, you know, people are often scared of the word Kirov, and I understand that. People, you know, especially the way it has generally been portrayed as a Kirov is for the Kirov professional, and I'm not a professional. So, you know, what do you want from me? So really, it, it really, it's a little scary. But the reality is that we have a mission in Pretty Alice, Oh, havers the Brias umkarvim the Torah. Love people and bring them to Torah. And generally speaking, we found that if you can do the Oh, havers the Brias, then the, the Makar and the Torah will come. 95% of Kirov is caring. Right? And if you sincerely care about another Yid, then they will be open to who you are and what 
you represent. The problem that a lot of this, this, I forget the name of the guy that you mentioned, whoever his name is, he, you know, he's a little bit afraid of you as an Orthodox Jew, often because he has misconceptions about what Judaism is. He, the, one of the biggest misconceptions that he has is that he thinks Judaism is a judgmental religion. So he's thinking that you're looking down on him. He thinks that you think he's a bad person. Whereas we all understand that really, we know that a person from, from the Gemara and Sanhedrin, you can't judge another person. You can't kill a person to save your own life. Why? Because of my chazis. You don't know whose blood is redder. You don't know who the better person is in the eyes of the Rabboni Shalom. So the reality of Torah's approach to these relationships is, you don't know, he may be a better person than you, and you have a lot to learn from him. And if you go into a relationship with those attitudes, and you look at him as a person who's made the same way you are, and you show him the respect, and even if you can give this, even this message over to him, I have a lot to learn from you. You know, you know you, you're made in the image of Hashem the same way as I am. If you can say it to him, or at least minimally, if you live with that value, then they're open, you know. So if, one, if you get into a relationship with a person and you sincerely care about them, you become their friend, it's 95% of the job. And also, if you care, you'll work out the rest yourself. Now, we teach people, you know, what the steps are. So, okay, easy ways. What's the first step? You know, the easy step, okay, get into a conversation, go out for a cup of coffee, you know, Keep in touch with a person. Send them an email about something interesting. Maybe invite them to your home, whether it's during the week or whether it's on Shabbos. Simple things that you can do. But, you know, so that's one of the, the, the misconceptions is that, that they have is that they think you're judging them. And that closes the door down when you actually take an interest. And part of Kira might be just listening to them, right? Empathizing with them. Give them a compliment. You know, it, you know one of the, one of the uh, things that I realized once we were giving the Kira training sessions, and I was thinking, you know what? Listen empathize, give a compliment. Think how you can, you know, help that person. I was thinking, you know what, if I did this with my wife, that would be the end of any shalom bias problems, not that I have them. But this, this is the same for all relationships, and certainly with Kirov, that if you care about a person sincerely, they'll go, wow, I never, I thought these, these Orthodox Jews were like, you know, ogres. I think really a nice guy, you know. More than anything, that you show that you value them and you appreciate them, you become their friend. How many people today have real friends? Everybody's in such a rush. We're in a world, in a world where people can't sit still. If you really listen to someone, wow, that can really make a difference. And then you follow it up. The other thing that is very crucial to know is that we have to realize it's not all or nothing. It's not, you know, it's not that either we get that person to become from or it's not worth it. Each and every step along the way is valuable. And it's true for our own personal growth. When we're growing, of course, we hear the, the story of Rav, uh, Rav Shah who said you should bench from a siddha. That's what you should take on. You're on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. That's, the, that's it. You know, because it's a step-by-step -step process. Growth, growth is that way. It's true for us. It's true for them. If you can get a person to start learning Torah, how much is that worth? If, they can, if you can learn the, the, some Hilkas uh, Lashon Hara, just go through some of the basics and say, wow, that's amazing. You don't speak that. Let me share with you what we don't do. If they start doing that, you know, I had a guy who one time I was learning with and he came to me after several years. He said to me, Rabbi, you think that, you know, I'm not, you're not getting anywhere with me? He put his hand on his, on his, on his sideburn. He said, you know what? I don't shave here anymore. And then he said, you know what? I don't go into to, to my office on Saturday mornings anymore. 
and say the first line of the Shema every night, and I started saying brachas. Now, it happens to be at the time, he was saying hamotzi on everything, but you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> so I'm just sharing that those are beautiful successes. And we're, we're, for us as Makarov, and what we're teaching is every single person is really supposed to be a Makarov, right? Doing Kirov is, is not just for the Kirov professionals, it's for all of us, because there's, there's arvus, we're all one. And there are many, many mitzvahs that give us a chiyuv to do Kirov, which we could talk about. But the reality is that when we're in that position of reaching out, we have to realize that just developing a relationship is a beautiful, it's a success. And they, they look at Judaism differently now that you've had that relationship. And they're, and, they're, and they're touched by it. If you can, you know, if they, if they can take one thing on, wow, that's amazing. In fact, I once asked the Rashiva of Noah Weinberg, who was my Rebbe, Baruch Hashem Azoch, a 26-year relationship with him. I once asked him, Rashiva, if we could get the from community, everybody to reach out, and they're completely unsuccessful, right? Is that worth doing? He said to me, Chaim, if you can do that, Mashiach will come tomorrow. So because it's a, it shows that we care. Do we care about our brothers and sisters? Now, sometimes it means going a little bit past your comfort zone. But that's what caring really means. If caring is all just about, well, if I'm not, if it's uncomfortable for me, do it yourself, or I'm not interested, that's not what Shem is looking for us, to care enough to go a little bit beyond our comfort zone. It might be to start with a little uncomfortable. You go to someone, you make a relationship, especially if you're an introvert and you're, you're not used. But you know what? You know, as we all know, you know, Rabbi Schuster was a big introvert, and look what he did, because he went past his comfort zone. That's everybody. Everybody can do what Rabbi Schuster did if they cared. What makes the, what the difference between Rabbi Schuster and us is that he cared with such a depth that he, that he couldn't, that he, you know, that he couldn't stop himself. It's like, I have to go over to this person, and at least, and his techniques were very weak. I mean, I remember in the early days, I was in Asia Torah, and I was there with some secular friends, and he came, what's the time would you like to go to yeshiva? <laughs> right? That was his approach. Now, you could say that's a very unsophisticated approach, and to be honest, it was. Right? But look what he did because he cared, and look what results he got because he cared. And that's the same for all of us. If we try and We'll work out what to do, you know, and we'll make a, a tremendous imp- impact on our, on the non from around us. So, Chaim, what do you learn? So, I tell John, and he's interested. I said, let's learn something. What would you learn with him? Well, again, it, it, what, should it, I learn, what should I learn with him? Yeah, well, I think there are, there are some things which are just good things to learn, like, you know, you can start learning something like Pirkei Avos, which is Jewish values. Just get that person into learning. Um, that's good. Or uh, Chumash, you know, just, you know, that every week there's a different Pasha and there's so many different things that you can do. Even just taking an art scroll Chumash and going through with it and asking his questions and then you can read the commentaries. You know, that can, those are simple uh, ways to, to start learning. Or um, there are great books, like Rabbi Bech has a phenomenal book on, you know, you know the, the overview of Judaism and different aspects of Judaism. Uh, I forget the name right now, but it's, it's a phenomenal book on, on, I think it's Gateways to, Gateways to Judaism or something like that. Um, and, you know, that's, that can be something that everybody, you know, who's starting might be interested in. Again, again it depends again. Are they coming or, and they're already interested? If they're already interested and they want to learn with you, then that's something. If they're not interested yet and you're trying to get them interested, 
So then that's a slightly different thing because they may not say, you know, to go with some say, would you like to learn? It might be, you know, it might be, you might want to start by sending them some interesting articles from, let's say, H.com, right? And, oh, wow, this was interesting about what happened in the news. It's topical. You send it to them. And, I, you know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on what, what do you think about this article or something very inspiring, a little inspiring video. Well, one of the ways that you can do it is if you're looking to think, or you know, maybe at some point I'd like to get into a learning relationship with them, which of course is a wonderful thing if you can get yourself to that point, is that look out for their questions. See, if, when you get into a conversation and they ask a question, and I'll give you the extreme example of this. Somebody asks you, you know, how could there be a God and the Holocaust you know, happen? Okay, how could there be a caring God? I mean, so, you know, one of, our, one of the things that we teach people is, Learn to say, I don't know, right? Not just because that takes that humility. And, and if you don't know, and if you, you try to pretend that you do, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble, right? But, if you, but even more, if you say, I don't know, and then you come back to them a couple of days later and say, you know what? I looked into your question. Can we get together to discuss it, right? Then you're turning it into a learning fader. You know? From a question, you say, I don't know. I'm interested. I researched it. How are they going to say, no, I don't want to, to, to talk to you about it? If you researched it and you cared about it and you put effort into it, you come back to them. And then you can see. So sometimes you can say, oh, we could learn this book together or we could go through this book together and so forth. So what do you do when they ask you questions that you know, have to do with science and kefira? How do you deal with those? Same way as you said, right. the researcher yeah. back to you? Yeah, so science, when you're dealing with science and kafira per se, I don't think that a lay person in general always should, you know, you, I don't think it's to, to try to answer, for example, someone comes to evolution, you know, I, I would, you know, sort of send them a shear, right, or have them read the right books, right? For I think there's a book called like Beyond Reasonable Doubt, which is um, very good. It's sometimes meaning if it's beyond, it's out of your depth, right? I wouldn't take it on, and that's the same with science. It's the same with clearer. You say to listen, you know, there's a, you know, often for example, people. That's not nowadays, especially. We're living in a generation where most people are not going to come from because you proved that God gave the Torah. In fact, I remember one of the last times that Rav Noah Zetel came to Passaic and he spoke to a large crowd, and there was question and answers and some uh, session, and somebody said to him, look, if I'm sitting at the table, should I go through, like, evidence and hashkafas? And he, looked, he leaned over and he said, tell me, you want them to come back? Right? So meaning, meaning you just got to be very careful that, you, you know, you don't try to win the battle and you'll lose the war. So even, even if you understand and say, let's explore this together, you know what, give, give someone a compliment. Say, you know, that's a really great question, right? In this generation, people are not, the, the, the search for truth and the, and, the, and the fact that if it's true, I've got to do it, has sort of like waned. We're not in that, we're not in that era anymore. Do you do anything different than Chabad or it's the same idea? <laughs> but obviously their approach is very different than ours. I mean, what approach is, yeah. about, is about love. There's no doubt about that. You know, yeah, I mean, look, all, all, all of Kirov is about that, right. It's hard for me to speak for, for, for them exactly what, what the difference is. We are, we, I mean, listen, you know, obviously, you know, a, a lot of their, they want to bring people to a relationship with more, more of a focus, let's say, on Hasidus. 
It's, it's very similar. They learn a little more tedious than you do. That would be the difference. Yeah, I mean, the, the, also the commonality, I would say, between particularly Project Inspire and, and Chabad, is that, you know, the Rebbe stressed that everybody should be involved in Kiru, right? And Project right. Inspire is, is, that, is that arm of Asia Torah, which is focused on the from community, that this is my dear friends. Right. This is your, right. These are your brothers. Right. It's not... The, the, wow. All the mitzvahs that are involved in the heel of Kirov are as much on you as they are on your friends who's a Kirov professional. When you meet someone, the friends that you have, the neighbors that you have, the co-workers, the people that you meet on, a, on an airplane, right, that those people Hashem is putting in your life to give you an opportunity to connect to them. Now, the result is you don't know. On the one hand, you know, it could be we have a phenomenal story with a... This is a Swedish lady from Borough Park who came to our Kiva training. Um, she sits down on an airplane. There's an Israeli actor model who's sitting two, two seats away. The person in between falls asleep. And he starts asking her questions. So, you know, she says, she told me, she said, Rabbi Samson, I looked up to Shemaim. I said, Rabbon Shalom, help me with all the stuff that I learned from Project Inspire Kiva training. Help me, you know, utilize that now. So she started, he started asking questions. They had a long conversation. At the end, he, she invited him to her house in Borough Park for Shabbos. A week and a half later, he came. By the end of Shabbos, he cried. He said, I've been surrounded by this my whole life, and I never knew what it was. He went back to, to Yerushalayim. He went to Asia Torah. He started getting more involved. He then came to learn in, in uh, Monsi. There's, a, there's an Israeli Baal Yeshiva. I invited him to a, to a board meeting a, a few years ago. He wouldn't come because his Rosh Yeshiva told him it was Bittal Torah. Here's an Israeli actor modeler that got on an airplane that was the f- uh, far away from Judaism. A Hasidic lady from Borough Park invited him, and you see the difference. Even if you don't see the difference, you never know the impact you're making. You never know what it's going to do. You, you try, you care, and you never know what that could do. So that's what we all have to time, do. In this that's a fanta- fantastic story. Thank you very much for your time. Thank okay. you so much, Rabdavid. And now here at the end of the program, we're going to do the riddles of past weeks. We're going to discuss the answers. Are they correct? Lani has daiti. And uh, are they incorrect? Of course, you will disagree with many of my uh, turetzim. But, nu, lama anfangin. Let's go. The rush, the Turin Simon Taflamid Beige brings it, says there's no issa to be mafsik once you started your Badika's Chanetz. Because you started the mitzvah already, now you could talk. He brings a raya. Maybe you have to finish the entire thing, like by Shaifer until the end. He says, no. He says, just like in Sukkot, once you make the Leishev Basukkah, the meal starts. You could talk. So you see, even though the entire meal, the entire day, in fact, from beginning to end, is a mitzvah sukkah, and you're allowed to talk in the sukkah, even though you're in the middle of the mitzvah, he says the same thing by Bedika Schametz. So you see that a mitzvah, once you started, you could be conversant. What's the raya? The reason you're allowed to talk by sukkah is maybe not because it's a hefsik. It doesn't bring you a raya that it's not a hefsik. Maybe by other mitzvahs it would be a hefsik. But Teshu Gaintadu says all your yeshiva is supposed to be like the rest of the year, including when you come into the sukkah, you should be talking to everybody like you would the rest of the year. Lamashal, for example, um, in Tafresh Chavtes, the, uh, the Mishtabur brings from the Chayadam. He says, somebody who's coming to the sukkah for three hours just to talk to, he makes a leishiv a sukkah, because that's what he's doing. Right? In fact, la halacha, it's very interesting. Let's say somebody who 
doesn't it can't eat um um wheat. He has, suffers from celiac or something. What does he do? He comes to the sukkah and he would make the bracha on uh, meat, on vegetables, etc. Why? Because the ikka mitzvah is the yeshiva besukkah. Chazal will kiveya the bracha on the achila. And it's here where you, there's going to be no achila. So then, according to the chayadam, or according to where if there's a lighter achila, you, you would make it on that. But avada, avada, the entire sitting in the sukkah, the entire day, you're speaking. If you came just to talk for three hours, the chayadam says you would make a you would make a bracha leishiv besukkah, right? You're spending the rest of the day in the sukkah. So here it's because that is the teshvu. So maybe it's, it's not it's not that it's not a hefsik. The, the, the dibur itself is the mitzvah, whereas in the middle of the badika, there's no reason to be to speak. So what is the raya of the rush? The negay of the sixth shaylam. That what's the raya from badika's comments to sukkah? Because by by sukkah, the chalosh be a hefsik. The dibur teshvu can to do. I saw the bring down from Chaim Kanyevsky that he answered the Enoch The Raya of the Torah by Elisha Basukah is from Dibur Chutz Lusukah. That's not Mavsik, and that's partial that Dibur Chutz Lusukah is not a Chalak of the Mitzvah. The Merle of the Torah is a good Raya. So here's the problem with this answer. The Rosh is asking Akasha. He's trying to tell, rather, he's trying to bring a Raya that you're allowed to talk by Badika's Chametz after you started. And he's bringing a Raya from Sukkah. Well, how do you bring a raya from a halacha that says nowhere that speaking outside the sukkah is not a hefsek? Doesn't say any place. You're bringing a raya from something that doesn't say. That's first of all, and more than that, it's bechal not bar if you leave the sukkah. The Magen Avram in, in Tafresh Lamates Yudzayin holds that it's a hefsek. The Mishnah holds that if you go to the bathroom, it's not a hefsek. But Pashta says because if you lived in your house, you would go to the bathroom outside. The same thing. But but halicha chutz sukkah and dibur chutz sukkah should be a hefsek. The reason why it's not a hefsek is bapashtas, because when you're leaving, you're going to get a bottle of water, and you, whatever you're doing, if it was in your house, you would go to leave a bottle of water. You, when you left, you would speak. If you went to the bathroom, you would speak. That's also all part of the Teshu Kain Taduru. If it's not part of the Teshu Kain Taduru, like arguably the Magan Avram holds, then it would taka be a hefsek. There's no din that you're allowed to talk outside the sukkah. There's a din that if you're going outside the sukkah in an oifin that is teishvu kein taduru, the halich is not a hefsek, the dibur is not a hefsek, whatever you're doing is not a hefsek. If we couldn't establish that and we say that's not teishvu kein taduru, enachanami, you would be a hefsek. So first of all, that's misvar, it makes sense that it should, it would be a hefsek. If, if you're doing it just for no reason whatsoever, you go outside the sukkah to record a concert or to, it would be a hefsek, right? The Debra would be, a, you know, to, to, to make a recording, it would be a hefsek according to the Magan Avram. And, and additionally, how does the Rush bring a riot from something that doesn't exist? So therefore, I have a problem with this tarot. We're going to ask a strong kasha on the briskarov. So all the, uh, all the yeshiva light here should definitely take out your pens. What does it say? Vanihin and he make him his brisi so what is Rashi? Noyeg was doyeg vaseg b'peri of Arabia. He didn't want to. He says, you know, the world's coming to an end. So he says, Rabboni Shalom was maftiachim shaloy l'shachis as ha'olamayid or Noyeg would not have had more children. Right? Because he said, the marble happened. It'll happen again. That's it. I'm not bringing children into the world to die. That's what, so it's mashma. Without that haftacha, he wouldn't have had children and he would have been right. Here's the problem. There's a famous brisker of Alotaira. That says by Rifka by Yisraeli to Abanim Bakiri Bakir Bavatayim Zakein Lamazanochi. He says that the Gemara Bracha says that Chizkiyo Hamelech did not want to have children. Why? Because he saw that they would be Rishayim. The Yishayo Anavi came to him and he said, "You're wrong for 
not having children. Shchitzki got sick; he was close to dying. He said, "Are you worried that you're not gonna that they're not gonna be that they're gonna be rishoyim?" Bahadi kaf sheidrach banalamalach. What's it your business? Why are you looking making cheshbonis for the rabbinu shalom? So the Briskarov said, therefore, he said he had no right to, he had a mitzvah. When it comes to, you have a mitzvah, you do the mitzvah, you don't worry about what the outcome is. Rivka, on the other hand, he said, she did wasn't mitzvah al puruvu. So she said, imkein lama zeanaychi. Without the Briskarov, we would learn different shot in the Gemara Brachas, which is how the Chafetz Chaim learned, the partner of Yerov said over from him in this way, and what? That Chizkiah, the Taina in him, was not Bahadi Kafshid Rachman Alamalach, that you just have to follow blindly, which is how the Briskarov saying, don't ask questions, just follow. Bahadi Kafshid Rachman Alamalach, the Briskar, the, uh, the Chafetz Chaim says, why are you making the Rabbani Shalom You may be wrong. Maybe. His children will not be Rishayim, which ultimately, Chavetz Chaim says, you see, they did tshuva. So you were wrong. So stop making God's cheshbonis when you could be very, very well be wrong. But if you're correct, Chavetz Chaim does not have a problem, doesn't see from the Gemara, that you have to follow a mitzvah when you have uh, an absolute reason not to do it. Why have Piri Verivya if they're going to die? Question is, according to the Briskra of Yisoyed, that a person is not allowed to, never allowed to have cheshbonis, how could in our parsha? Noyach say that what? I don't want to have children because they're going to die again in the marble. And Rabbi Nishom has to be No, they will live. It seems that Rabbi Nishom was masking to Noyach's cheshbin. But he said, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be give you the a, a symbol, the rainbow, the keshes, that they will live. They will not do a marble again. But otherwise, Noyach was correct. So you see, L'chaira, a person is allowed to make cheshbinus when he's when it comes to Purivarivia, when he says they're not going to be tzaddikim, or in this case, they're going to die, not to have the children. So it's a kasha on the briskarov, and it's a raya to learn the Gemara in Brachis, not like the briskarov. Why is this such an important question besides you know, it's Kishmakashila. But because I know that in Brisk they use this Yesoid of Hadi Kafshid Rahman Alamali never to make Khajbainis in many other areas of Hashkafa of life. So uh, it's not just some random vart from the Briskarov, but it's actually quite a Yesidistic vart that is really one of the underpinnings of the Hashkafa in the Yeshiva of Brisk. No yeah, if his kids are gonna die, he's not gonna be Yoitza Privy anyway, so so let me respond to this riddle. For starters, what is Nayak? Rabbi Shalom is telling Nayak, go be Makayim Puravo. What is he saying? I don't want to be Makayim Puravo. Why? Because it's going to be in a scala that it wouldn't be. I mean, that goes against the entire vert of the Briskarov. The Briskarov says, you're told to do a mitzvah. You don't ask kashis. You don't say, according to my cheshbin, it'll come out. I wasn't Makayim the mitzvah. That's Aleph. And be as to your actual Taina, that he was worried about if a marble comes, his Puru Vul Mafre will be Batal. I would say he wasn't worried that there would necessarily be a, 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 a marble in his lifetime. He knew ultimately Adam is going to be Chaita. There's a Keshes in every generation, which means people. So two, three, four generations down, there'll be a marble. His children will be wiped out. So he says, why am I bringing children to the world? He would have been Makayim Puravo. So I think this question is, uh, this point is wrong on two purposes, this answer. There's no contradiction to the Brisker Rav as Noach was entitled to make a Chesbon as he already fulfilled his obligation of having children, according to Beis Shammai, by having at least two sons. Well, 
We don't paskin like Beishamai, period, end of story. It's not brought in Shulchan Aruch. I mean, there's an opinion, you know, in general, when it comes to learning, the, the, the Litvish way of learning is when somebody asks the Lamda Shikasha, we don't, the Polish way is we look for a Kimtis. There's a Psashitis, a Maral Bach that says, Azayin Azayin, wait them. Maybe he holds like that Shita. It's not the, in general, I'm just saying. But besides that, you're saying he held like a Shita. We don't hold like that Shita. We don't paskin like Beishamai. All it says Neich was Doyeg, and it doesn't really mean that he would not have done it. It's just more or less an idea of thinking about it. And Hashem said, I accept what you say, and you have nothing to worry about. I promise you there won't be another marvel. Okay, so he's tying that Neich was just worried. He wasn't planning to listen. Well, it says, Vani, what does Rashi say? Hinni maskim anayimach. Whereas Drobainish was agreeing with what Noyach said. It wasn't just a worry. If he's worried, you say, you know, Tatala, take, uh, have a, have a cup, a cup of tea or something and stop worrying. Drobainish are you agreeing with, with your position? If there's a marbles coming to the world, why are you going to have children if they're going to be wiped out? And Drobainish was mask him. If it was just a daiga, why would you need Rashi says twice he was mask him? Rabbi Shechaim says that until Matan Torah, you could be Mekhaim Mitzvah in many different fashions. Maybe not exactly how the Torah was Mitzvah. If you're a big tzaddik and you knew, you know, that the Rav Hashem was, was the Dudavka this way, so if, if Noyach saw that all the people are going to get washed away, so then Rav Hashem is not going to be for him to have kids. If the Mr. Puruhu is the Meluah Sa'orat, then it's not going to happen. So if I said, it's not Rav Hashem. Okay, so this call is being Michalik, saying before Matan Torah was different, and over there in a Chanami, you, you, you could uh, make the Cheshbonus, Bahadi Kafshid Rahman, it's only after Matan Torah. Um, the Briskarov clearly didn't agree with this, because the Briskarov says by Rivka, the reason she was able to be Chalik and say, Lama Zanoichi is because she wasn't Mechayiv B'Mitzvah. If she was Mechayiv B'Mitzvah, she wouldn't have been able to do it. Well, Rivka is before Matan Torah. It's a Shayna Teretz, but not on the, on the Briskarov, not in the Shtickle Torah anyway. Okay, here's a, here's a terrace that we got from a bunch of people that um, before that Noyach was only Mechiev in Puravu, al Mitzvah, not al Mitzvah. So since he had no Chiev, he was able to make a Cheshbin. He didn't have the obligation. It's not talking about the Chizki who had an obligation of Puravu. But he only had a Kiev of Puravu. He didn't have a Chiev of Puravu. I guess it's again maybe a before Matan Tayyar But here's the problem. Puravu was given to Noyach together with Zayin mitzvahs benayach. One of them is dinim, which is also an assay. What is dinim? That you have a mechiyuv to stall, you know, courts in every single area, etc., etc. According to the Rambam, Shechem, sh- the ear of Shechem was killed. Why? Because they were over on dinim. Now, if it's just a kiyim and not a chiyuv, they couldn't have been killed for that. So the cl- Rambam clearly nemzan that before Matan Torah, dinim, which is the assay of the Zayin, mitzvah benenayach, is absolutely a chiyav. So mehechet to be mechalik. The one in the Zayin, mitzvah benenayach, is puravu, that's a kiyam. The other assay in mitzvah benenayach is a chiyav. Like, bring a riot to such a thing. But Pashas, if you see the assays of the Zayin, mitzvah benenayach, are a chiyav, they're all a chiyav. That would be my response to this answer. Now, one listener wrote an answer as follows, a very interesting answer. He said that the Medrish says that Noyach didn't have children in the Teva. Why? Puravu uh, is Aser in the Teva. Why? Because when the world, Rashi brings this, when the world is in a time of Tzara and Churban, Shnasabit Cyrus, etc., a person is supposed to be Maineya from Tashmish, from having children. So he said the Medrish seems to imply, just what does the Medrash say afterwards? When they went out of the Teva, the Rabbani Shulman said to them a new, ta- a, a, a new commandment, a new Tzavav, Atem Pru Uruvu, Shur Tzubar, it's for Uruvuba. 
benut chiyav apurvo. In other words, it's all over. Amaleinayach ribayin ha'il ha'ilam shemat achayzru mevi mabel. So he wanted to say, maybe Rashi's saying, or what, when it says, when Noyach said, Shema Atamevi Mabel, he's not arguing on the mitzvah of Puravu. He's saying, you told us in the Teva, we're not allowed to do Puravu. Why? Because it's a Shnas Tzara. Maybe now there's another Mabel coming and it's another Shas Tzara. So Rabbi Nishom told him, I'm going to bring a Keshes. An interesting answer, but if you look carefully at the Medrash, the Medrash isn't saying that. He says, in the Teva, there was a problem of, they were dying. Right, it was Ayolam Shasabasar. The Rabbi Shalom came out and he said, Atem Pru Urvo. So he's telling him clearly, even though till now you were Asa, now your mother, and there's a dinner Pru Urvo, Pru Urvo that was Mufka because of the, you were in the Teva and there was a Shnasatsara, Ace Tsara, now Pru Urvo. So when Noyach says, Shema Mabal Mabal Ayolam, like what do you mean Shema Mabal Bal Ayolam and it's still Sasara? The Rabbi Shalom just told him, Pru Urvo because of that very reason. So what's Noyach's problem? Rabbi Shum already told him, Pruravu, even though in the tables an Eistzara, now come out and do Pruravu. So he's asking him, maybe it's Eistzara. What, what do, you, do you think Kaviachal's stuttering? Elamai Wasp shot in the Medrash, Noyach's coming up with a new Taina. Why should I have children? It's good, there's no Shnas Tzara, but I shouldn't have children, because if they're going to be destroyed again, maybe this generation, maybe another generation, with a Mabal, there's no reason to have children that'll one day be destroyed. That goes against the Svara of Pruravu. That's the Pshat in the Medrash. So, bottom line is, I think the Ara and the Briskarov is a Shtarka Ara, and the Chafetz Chaim, the way it will the Rashi would be Pshat, is a riot to the way the Chafetz Chaim learned Pshat in the Rashi.